right now, though, we're going to hear the Bible read and Maddie's going to come down and do that for us. gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. That the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy, prophesy you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Moses said, Honour your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, the man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God. Then you, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or other. I'm assuming mother. Thus, <laughs> making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, for the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Uh, with the confidence to know God's word, to be able to spot a typo along the way and <laughs> correct it mid-sentence. Fantastic. Uh, if you're joining us uh, just today, uh, then welcome. And I feel like I'm talking to sort of no one up here. I'll sort of have to hover from side to side. Uh, this is the this is the elite crew. Yeah, like I'm not sure what that is, or, but. This is God's word to us. It's our conviction here. You don't need to uh, have that conviction to be with us, but we're looking at Mark's gospel, and it's our conviction that it's God speaking to us so that we might know how to conduct ourselves in his world and know him. So um, it's right, therefore, to pray. That is, to ask God to help us, to help uh, understand his word, to help me to be able to explain it well. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you've given us 
uh, your words such that we can understand you, we can understand what you are doing in this world and how you want us to respond. We pray that we might be able to understand what you're saying here in Mark 7, help me to be able to explain it well and to be able to respond appropriately. Amen. Well, up here you'll see two things, which hopefully you can identify both. <laughs> and I want to ask, what do these two things, or one person, uh, and these two things have in common? Anyone off the top of your head? Yes, it is a puzzle. It's almost a parable. <laughs> <laughs> thought about that. They are both amongst the most powerful things in the world, but that's not the key thing. In, in 2011, um, Bill Gates was nominated as the fifth most powerful person in the world, and in uh, a couple of years after that, Bill Gates wrote and nominated that measurement was one of the most powerful tools for fixing the biggest problems of the world. Measurement. Not measuring things with a ruler, which is close to my heart, having come from the world of surveying that I used to inhabit. Uh, yes, measurement rules the world. But this is what he actually wrote, uh, Bill Gates. In the past year, and this is some years ago, I have been struck how important measurement is to improving the human condition. You can achieve incredible progress if you set a clear goal and find a measure that will drive progress toward a goal. This may seem basic, but it is amazing how often it is not done and how hard it is to get it right. Measurement. If you're going to improve the world, you've actually got to measure things accurately, measure things well, and once you've measured things accurately and well, apply the solution, and then get on with it. Well, in Mark's Gospel, we're introduced early on in chapter 1 to the one who is the King, the, the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world with a message for the world, saying that the Kingdom of God is near. Mark chapter 1 verse 15. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus sees himself as one who's bringing the kingdom of God into the world and bringing about change in the world. Fundamental to any change that he's bringing is an important, accurate diagnosis of the problem of the world, the problem that we've come to fix. And so we have here a parable about pollution from Jesus. And it's about diagnosing the problem, problem properly. This is point 2A on your outline. In verse 14, he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Now let me ask you, is there anything 
surprising or puzzling about anything in those verses? Off the top of your head. And that makes sense to us. Things that are around, the, uh, around us, that go into us, affect us. Yes. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Good pickup. The thing that puzzled me was, how is this a parable? How is this a parable? There's no story. There's no plot. There's no characters. There's, it's just... It's like a teaching. It's like a little saying, a teaching. Well, if you were with us a few weeks ago in Mark 4, you'll know that, that parables are not little stories used to illustrate big ideas or make big ideas simple. They're more like the secret sayings. They're hidden sayings. They're, they're meant to include insiders and exclude outsiders. You'll have to go back and work on chapter 4 if you haven't heard that before. But here we've got a parable. But how is this a parable? Where's the secret? Well, I'm going to get you guys to think about that. Amongst yourselves, with one or two around about you, say good day, meet others. Where is the secret or the hiddenness in this parable? I'll give you 30 seconds. Jesus says here seems to be straightforward, although Liam has raised a good point. Uh, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. You may agree or disagree, but it seems uh, understandable enough the point that's being made. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. What are the things that come out of a person that defile him? Uh, I don't know, uh, and I'm not going to ask the question. Uh, what are the things that come out of a person that defile them? If this was a group of primary school boys, uh, <laughs> we could have a great discussion. Uh, but you've got to say, is it poo? <laughs> is it poo? Then you The primary school boys. Uh, like, <laughs> poo does come out of you and it, it can make you unclean uh, we don't want to hear any stories about that 
or anything else. We'll move on. Uh, and the disciples, well, they asked him about it privately. They asked him about it privately um, in the house. I don't think I've shown you that um, part of the, uh, the passage. <coughs> they asked him about it privately. Yeah, because that goes with the parable. It's, the, it's not all the people who hear it that hear this explanation, but those later on in the house. And so Jesus says to them, um, when he had entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach? And is expelled, and thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and more. And we'll see them in a moment. See, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Or the problem which is the heart. The problem is pollution, or more accurately, that the heart is polluted and unclean, and all pollution comes from the human heart. But what does it look like? Well, the symptoms of it. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Now I have to take great care here in getting you to understand this. Because you've probably already heard it wrongly. If you're anything like me, you've probably already read and heard this wrongly. Jesus is not saying this is a person on a bad day or this is everybody when they have a bad day. No, this is what the heart is like. This is the centre of a person's whole being. The heart is the thing that drives you, the thing that has encompasses all your desires, all your motivations, all the the direction of your life. It's, it's, it's you. It's everything about you. It's not you on a bad day. This is you every day. This is every person every day. It's not that you'll do all these things every day. It's not that the things of these that you do are the worst things that you could possibly do. It's just this is the character of every person and their heart every day. Do you find that offensive? I do. I'm offended when I consider that, that that is my heart. But that's because I'm proud <laughs> and deceitful. I'm better than that. But that's my heart speaking my proud and deceitful heart that says I'm actually not really like that. All these symptoms come from a diseased heart. 
some people actually are beginning to recognise this about people in the world. Uh, most people have a very... Oh, this is me talking in my history of growing up. Uh, most people have had a, a positive view of humanity, that we're actually at the heart of it, not bad, we do bad things, but at our heart, <laughs> we're not bad. We just need to do better at doing the good things. More and more, I'm hearing people say, humans are bad. I was talking with a fellow a couple of weeks ago at our Easter store. Is there life after death? Not at all a Christian, not at all religious. Unsure if there's anything, any life after death. Uh, but convinced that there's no connection between this life and anything that might come after death. He said the problem is that people don't love each other, they don't leave each other to themselves. Humans have wrecked the world. I left out some expletives. Uh, humans have wrecked the, the problem with this world is humans. And he actually was very honest and he said if he had the power and the opportunity, he would eliminate all humans from the world. Yeah. I was very... I thought, there's a guy who's being honest and thought through in his convictions. And he said it a number of times and held to it. Humans are the problem. It's the human heart which is the problem. And a problem that we can't fix. Now, if you're thinking, and I hope you are thinking, I hope you hear there's an inbuilt problem with what I've just said. Did anyone pick it up? Did you want to have a go, T? Because if that can be fixed. Well, it could be fixed, possibly. But if, and we'll come to that, but if my heart is a problem, then all the things that come from me are infected with well, all of these things, including maybe my reading of the Bible and my understanding of what it actually is being said and being able to understand the truth and communicate the truth to you guys or com communicate it to anybody. Is maybe everything I do is infected because of my heart. How then can we even read the Bible and get it right? Well, you'll have to come to MYC to deal with that. Much bigger than what I can do with you. But I want to say, to be honest and to be consistent, we've got a problem. It's not, our, it's not just our problem, it's the, the problem of the heart, if we're going to acknowledge that. So you've got to do some wrestling with that. If you're going to, anyway, come to the MRC. So how do we deal with this problem? Uh, well, the parable was generated from a, a conflict that Jesus had with, uh, about the disciples, with the religious leaders at the time, about being acceptable to God. And these Pharisees that we meet at the beginning of this chapter are a prime example of those who look to religious solutions to solve the problem. And so, back at the beginning of our passage, when the Pharisees gathered to him, some, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples <laughs> ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. 
For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, it sounds like the Pharisees are people with a heightened sense of hygiene. Uh, They might be. They wash everything, we're told, in those brackets, in those parentheses. They wash everything, including dining couches. Now, I don't know what a dining couch is, <laughs> but I think I want one. <laughs> a dining couch. Except I think that might be covered in, uh, which is not good. But rather, put that aside, uh, but rather than about hygiene, it's about ceremonial washing. There may be hygiene elements to it, but it's about ceremonial washing coming from the recognition that whenever you go out into the marketplace, whenever you go out into the world, you're coming into contact with things that defile you, such that you need to wash. Sometimes the washing, well, the hand washing was done very ceremoniously, a certain number of times of dunking the hands. But other times, and probably quite hygienic as well, but other times it's just a ceremony of just sprinkling. You just sprinkle some water on the thing. I mean, it's not going to clean anything hygienically, but it's a ceremonial thing. It's a recognition that things need cleansing and a recognition that you're doing something to try and fix this problem of cleansing. And ceremonially, it's all about making you right with God, being acceptable with God. And it's a common practice across all religions, this desire to have cleansing to be made clean. Well, along with the cleansing rituals, there are regulations concerning food which keep you unpolluted and clean, so you don't eat certain foods. And it's all designed to make you acceptable to God. But Jesus says, and we saw it earlier on, there's nothing that can go into a person. There's nothing you can eat which can defile you. There's nothing. Um, for maybe McDonald's. I think they can. But don't get me started. Nothing you can put into your mouth can defile you. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, all the religious cleansing and rules are just made man rules. That is not in the Bible. That is in my notes that somehow I've managed to make it into looking like it's in the Bible. <laughs> Such is the corruption of my heart. Intending <laughs> to deceive you, but that is not in the Bible. All religious cleansing and food rules are just man-made rules. Well, they're man-applied rules. Some of them do come from God in the law. Uh, some of them by the Pharisees are made up, added onto the law to try and make it stricter, to try and make it sure that you don't actually fail to keep the, the core of the law that God gives. Jesus says they're, well, they're teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
And he quotes Isaiah, where Isaiah talks about how the people come into the temple, they do all the things that God had said that they should do, bringing sacrifices, doing the rituals, but their hearts are far from God in the doing of it. And in Isaiah you see that God says, stop doing that. I hate what you're doing. Because you're coming and you're doing all the right things, you're looking like you're right, but then you're going out and stealing and killing and oppressing and your hearts are full of greed and wickedness. You're better off not coming to my temple. No, nothing of the heart, of the problem of the heart is fixed by religious observance. Well, what do we, we don't have religious observance as a big <coughs> problem, but we do recognise in our world that there are problems that humans have created. Modern solutions. We have problems in the world and people like Bill Gates have attempted to solve some of those problems and I must say has done pretty well uh, on all accounts from some years ago when he started. Has done okay. A lot better than some expected and well Maybe um, better than he expected himself, I'm not sure. I don't know lots of the details. But everyone knows that there are problems, and they tackle those problems in different ways. Uh, one common, sorry, one more modern solution uh, is something, things like dealing with the problem in fashion. Um, ethical fashion and shopping ethically. Now, I feel like I'm going to make some enemies here uh, in making this point. Um, shopping for ethical brands in order to fix some of the problems in the world is a good thing. It's a very good thing. But it's also a problem. Because it feeds a problem. It's a good thing because it is motivated by love, to love people, and to right wrongs in the world, real wrongs. But like religious solutions, they can allow the heart to deceive itself into thinking that it's dealing with the heart of the problem, while masking the heart, which is the problem. Do you hear me? Clearly, we do, we put our efforts into good things, such as seeking to shop ethically. We talked about this last year in Isaiah, if you were with us, and we actually were promoting that and talking about that. But as much as that is a good thing and a loving thing to do for people, there is a dangerous side to it. That is, when the good, loving edge of that that's seeking to fix particular problems in the world, seeps over into, this is fixing the heart of the problem in the world. The reason that it can seep over into, we are fixing the heart of the problem of the world, is because our hearts are actually deceived. That we think that we now have the solution to the problem of the world rather than we've just got something which is good and loving and helpful. But recognising that there's a solution that needs to come from somewhere else. 
the best things that we do, and they really are good things, will not fix the heart of the problem. Sometimes they will mask the problem by thinking, us thinking that we're actually fixing the problem along the way. We've got to deal with the heart of the issue, which is about responding rightly to God's word. Bill Gates is right. Measuring the problem and measuring progress is fundamental. The problem, however, is when you use the measuring tool the wrong way around and you end up getting the wrong results or the results that you wanted to get all along which were motivated by your heart, which wanted to see certain results. You've got to have the word of God to diagnose your problem. And it's God's word that shows us where the solution lies. The question is, are you going to hear it and submit to it? Jesus confronts the Pharisees with this. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honour your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. The Pharisees and others like them, they have God's word. And they read God's word. But they don't obey God's word. They use God's word for their own purposes and make it void. See, God's word says, honour your father and mother. That's a good thing. Fathers and mothers back in those days had no way of being able to supply for themselves in their retirement, which they never had because they didn't have retirement. They needed children to provide for them when they can't work the fields anymore, can't be much use in their old age. They need sons, mostly sons, who will provide for them. But there's also a requirement on people to give to the temple. In fact, you can make vows, promises, to give to the temple. You can even make a rash vow and say, oh God, if you bless me in this way, I will give X money. Or however, I don't know exactly how they did the vows, but you could do that. And you would owe money to the temple. You promised it. Problem is, what if you don't have the money? Well, what if the money that you, well, that you would have given your father or mother, um, you hand over to the temple instead to keep your, um, to keep your vow? Well, the Pharisees seem to have a system where they actually allowed that to happen, such that the money that you would otherwise have given to your father or mother is a gift devoted to God now, Corban. And so you've actually done both. So you've honoured your father and mother, you've got money for them, but it's now in the temple. And so they've kept the law, haven't they? Except they haven't really, because they actually haven't handed the money over to their mother or father. Have they kept the word of God? Absolutely not. They've done nothing to actually fulfil what God is concerned about, and that is actually honouring father or mother. They've just created some legal loophole so as to get the guy out of the problem of the rash vow that he's made. And they'd said, it's all okay, it's all fixed up. 
mind you, they're the ones that get the money. So you can read God's word, you can have God's word, and fail to hear it and respond rightly. What is needed is a change of heart. Something from the outside to come in. And that is exactly what Jesus does when he brings the gospel message. He comes from outside the system and breaks in with God's kingdom and says, repent and trust the gospel. That's where we've got to have our trust, first and foremost, in the gospel message. That's why we go on so much about the gospel message here. I mean, not just because it's a great idea, but Mark gets coming up in Mark's gospel that Jesus preaches, Jesus teaches, because it's only when we hear God's word and actually deal with it rightly that it will rightly assess our hearts and will actually lead us to go, God, I need your help. I need something to change my heart. Thank you for the gospel. Friends, that's the thing that's going to change the world. The gospel message. Not lots of people will celebrate and jump up and down if you uh, say that this is the thing that's going to change the world. You're not going to get a pat on the back. You won't get written up in in the newspapers, uh, you won't get on TV being championed with a big check or anything like that towards your cause. Because the heart is corrupted. You've got to keep being reminded, as I do, to hold on to the gospel message and to hold out the gospel message to the world that needs it. While doing all the other good stuff along the way. But don't treat it as the gospel. It's the only thing that can change human hearts. Next semester, we're going to make some noise, and we'll hear about this at NYC, about how we can just pump up the gospel going out. Not just to here, but into the world. And we want you to be on board with that, if you are a follower of the gospel. To be on board with that. And to work out how you can use your gifts to bring the gospel to the people around you and indeed into the world, not just now for a couple of weeks, but for a whole lifetime. And have your hearts changed and reformed as we hear God's word. Now you might have some, I'm going to pray for us in a moment, but you might have some questions that um, have uh, come up from that or the last couple of weeks. And I think we've got a moment where we can um, ask some of those but I'm going to lead us in prayer that we might be committed to the gospel that Jesus brings in changing the problem of the heart let's pray Father thank you for the Lord Jesus who speaks so clearly so devastatingly into our humanity exposing the heart of the problem which is our hearts Lord Please open our eyes to our own hearts that we might see uh, how deceptive our hearts are, how proud we are, how given to uh, immorality we are, how given to serving ourselves, not loving others. Lord, expose our hearts and help us to see 
that the only fix is in the Lord Jesus and to run to his gospel for help and to run that gospel into all the world to help a world that is dying of heart disease. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We will have someone come and pray in a moment, but there may be a chance for some questions. Um, do we have time for that? Oh, Jacob, have we got a couple of minutes for that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Does anyone want to ask anything about <laughs> passage? Or anything that I've said? Celebrate studying Canberra, by the way. Um, I've got my drink bottle. Yeah, Jack. Um, I guess my question is, how do we, how do we actually go about making sure our hearts in the right place? Like, for example, I do a, I, I do a reasonable amount of, or helping out with the church that I go to, in in an area that. I really enjoy it. Um, but how do I know if I'm, like, I'm doing it for God and for the, all the people in the church, but I also get something out of it for myself. So how do I know if I'm, you know, do you know what I'm asking? I know exactly what you're asking. Yeah. 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 Welcome to the world of understanding your heart just a little bit better. It's actually worse than what you think. It's just that you don't realise it yet. Uh, don't. Uh, sometimes people say you've just got to have the right motives. Just make sure you've got the right. You can't look at your motives. You can't make them clear any more than you can know anybody else's motives. Mind you, everyone contributes um, motives to others. But yeah, you can't know yourself. You're, well, you can. You actually know that you're you're working from a corrupted heart. Uh, it's being renewed by the Spirit, but we still live with a corrupted. The corrupted heart that wants to serve itself. What do you do when you know that? Well, you work out what's the good thing to do, be convicted that this is the good thing to do, and do it. Recognising that there's probably motives going all over the place that are wrong, but just come back to, is this the right thing to be doing? You measure it by the Word of God? Am I actually living by the Word of God? I think I am. This is a good, loving thing to do. Good, I'll do it. Uh, and, I, and I just keep, keep being immersed in God's word to be able to just know the heart of God and what he's doing in the world. And then you just keep measuring uh, what you're doing against what you're reading. The problem is when we get overexcited that the thing that we've got is the solution and it drifts over into fixing the heart. Keep those things separate and you're in a good place. And that gives you great confidence to then charge ahead with the good thing. You don't have to be too worried about it. It's doing great stuff. Let's get on with that. Now, how may I, how may, how's the gospel going out into the world as well? Okay, we've got to be doing that. So, yeah. Don't try and... Some people will over-worry and they'll never do anything. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. So, I think we might have to pray. Leah, just. Can our hearts ever be cleaned in this life and if so how if not what do we do 
thank you, brother. Um, come to NYC. <laughs> yeah, that. Yes and no. Uh, that sounds like a cop out, but that is actually uh, the heart to the answer. It's, uh, yeah, yes, absolutely, uh, but no, not totally. I'm going to leave it there <laughs> for that NYC, uh, and we're going to have someone pray. Uh, thanks, Liam. Uh, sorry, just as Liam does lead us in prayer, um, we're aware that you know, there's a lot of stress at the moment for some of you, and with assessments and exams and so on, and it is a stressful time. Uh, that's okay. It's meant to be. It's meant to test you out, see how good you are at coping with the, with work. But rest assured that uh, the staff, as we prep things for MYC and next semester, we're praying for you this time, and really want to see you um, do well at serving the Lord in your studies. So be assured um, our prayers for you. All the best with the exams. Thanks. Alright. So my name is Liam. Um, in my second year doing mechanical engineering and a fun fact about me is that I can solve a 3x3 three three Rubik's Cube. Mm. <laughs> uh, so it's my privilege of praying for us today, so please join me. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity that the Mid-Year Conference provides. I pray that we can um, consider going if that's what we feel is the right thing to do and that, um, yeah, that we can look forward to delving deep into it over the five days and into showing fellowship with other Christians around us. Uh, thank you for the opportunity that Conversations has given us this semester. Um, thank you for the people who are doing walk-up and trying to share the gospel with other people and for um, yeah, being there with them as they share your word with others. I also pray for everyone going through assignments um, in this last week of uni and for those prepping for exams to come that they don't let the stress and the worry of these things pull them away from their relationship with you God but they can see that these are uh, worldly things whereas your kingdom in heaven is eternal um, I also pray that uh, everyone after exams as they're in the holidays that they um, don't take this as a break from you but they continue to trying to meet up with each other and maintain the relationships and friendships that they've had um, to continue growing in their relationship with you. I also pray for Reconciliation Week last week. Uh, yeah, I acknowledge that um, Australia's history um, hasn't been, has been pretty bad to the Indigenous population and I pray that Jesus' death and resurrection will reconcile um, the difficulties that occurred. And I also pray that Jesus' name will be proclaimed and glorified throughout the world as we eagerly await his return. In Jesus' name.